Welcome to the Forerunner Church Podcast, where we highlight key messages and themes related to the body of Christ, inviting you to connect with our spiritual family as we grow in passion for Jesus and compassion for people. For more information, visit forerunnerchurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and you can look at the teaching notes as well. We've been taking a few weeks and looking line by line through Ephesians chapter 1 and looking at the riches of the gospel of grace and how that establishes our hearts and confidence before the Lord because that's what he wants. He wants us to be confident in him. And he wants us to boldly approach him. And he wants us to come into his courts with thanksgiving and praise and stand before him as the redeemed. So let's look at some of these verses here, beginning in verse 3. I'm not going to read all of this, but verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, Jump down to verse 6, to the praise of his glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed upon us in the beloved. Message for this morning is entitled, Establish in the Belovedness, the Fellowship of the Burning Hearts. And here's the main point of the message. The gospel truths provide us access into the presence and the fellowship of God. And he has invited us into something I'm calling the deeper things of God. It's more than just forgiveness from from our sins. It's more than just getting rid of the guilt of our failure and our shame. The Lord has invited us into a fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that is incredible and mostly left untouched and unsearched for by many, many believers. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Father, we come before you. We ask for a spirit of wisdom, Lord, and revelation. We want to see Christ. We want to experience the riches of the knowledge of God. We want to touch something deeper. We want to be broken out of our spiritual boredom. And Lord, the lack that we many of us wrestle with in the day-to-day. We ask you that you would take us to where we can't go on our own, that you would escort us by your Holy Spirit into the things that are hidden in your heart and made available to us. We love you, Lord, in your name, amen. Well, the book of Ephesians is written to the church in Ephesus, and it's a really messed up church with a bunch of really messed up people, so it's perfect for us. It really is this crazy mix of people from all sorts of creed and background and beliefs and ideas. And here the Lord births this church through a revival. And Paul goes in and he ends up writing this letter from prison a few years after his time there to establish them in these foundational truths so that they continue on in the grace of God. What is this What is the point of this? Why are these truths essential to us? As many take these truths that Paul's talking about here, of the grace of God, and the 
the fact that it's freely given to us and that we're established in God's heart and they reduce it down to just the introductory messages of the faith. But we have to keep in mind that Paul, as a builder, he's working towards something because the Spirit of God is bringing his people to a point in human history before the coming of the Lord, in the generation of the Lord's return. He's bringing them to something. He's establishing them in truths that are foundational, in truths that lead them into the deep things of God and produce Christian maturity within their hearts. He explains it briefly in Ephesians 4. I have the verse written here. The Lord gave, the context is, he establishes the fivefold ministry for the equipping of the saints. Verse 13, pay attention to this, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. That we come to a mature man and to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In other words, your life is on a trajectory in God and we have to never make peace and become passive with where we're at. We're to be constantly growing and changing and maturing as we become that person that we're after who is Christ himself. Now he says here that we're to come to the knowledge of the Son of God. And that's a very important feature because that has to do with what I'm talking about this morning, that the gospel introduces us into a family conversation, into a family dynamic. It brings us into the very center of the Godhead and the life, the love, the ministry, the exchange that's happening within the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we can't reduce the Christian life to biblical ethics and morals. We can't reduce the Christian life to the supernatural and getting things more exciting, seeing miracles and signs and wonders. It is that, but that's not the main focus of what's happening. The gospel of Christ and these truths, they are propelling us into a deeper fellowship with the Godhead. And this is, unre- this is remarkable. This is unbelievable Because of the fact of who God is in his holiness, in his uncreatedness, in the vastness of who he is, eternal, immortal, invisible, that he in his kindness would look at weak, broken people like us and make a way and ordain a plan to propel us into the joy of that fellowship. I mean, that is a staggering truth that I believe we will look at and examine and a joy forever and ever and ever. So the Lord is establishing us before him in confidence. Paragraph A, the Lord wants us to be confident before him. Because if the purpose of the gospel is to get us into fellowship with him, we can't have a view of God or a human compulsion or propensity to back away from him. Yeah, I don't understand who you are. It's in our lack of the knowledge of God that we actually draw away from him because we believe things that are not true about who God is. We believe that we're to be ashamed in his presence. We believe that we don't have access into his heart. We believe that we can't be a part of the family of God because of our sin and our failure. It's disqualified us. And so we are content to live at a distance hoping against hope that God somehow miraculously 
we sneak into heaven at the end. It's like I'm just happy to be in heaven at the very outskirts of glory and just at least I made it in. I mean, it's good to just barely make it in. But these truths give us confidence and assurance of our salvation. That our salvation and our belonging in the family of God is not because of our own merit. It's because of the merit of Christ. It's not because of our works. It's because of the work of Christ on the cross. And that positions us in a place of confidence where one minute into the kingdom, we could be reaching in fellowship towards God and going, talk to me. I want to talk to you. What are you like? Tell me about the beauty and the mysteries that burn within your heart. That is the point of our salvation. Our salvation and the cross has blown open the door to experience the deeper things of God. And I'm concerned. I'm concerned about this because we have a whole generation coming up behind us. We have teenagers. We have our children. We, we have just young people in the prevailing culture. And their view of Christianity and their view of God is just a is often a sterile moral system where a bunch of people are hypocrites. Guess what? We are hypocrites. Let's just say it like it is. We say a bunch of stuff and we do the opposite, but that doesn't disqualify us from being sons and daughters of the living God. But we need to give the next generation a vision for more of the things of God, for a depth and a life in God that is so rich, that is so pleasurable, that is so filled with delight and joy that they would give their life in order to have that thing. Scripture describes the kingdom of heaven like a man that finds a treasure in a field. And it says for the joy of that treasure, what does he do? He goes and sells everything that we ha- he has. He sells everything that he has and he goes, buys that field because he knows that 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 treasure is the source of all true joy. We often preach the gospel in the complete opposite way. We go, if you don't go sell everything you have, you're going straight to hell. But there's a different gospel. There There is a gem, there is a prize that Paul the apostle is fixated on, that the disciples were fixated on, and it was the beauty and the majesty of the things of God. And they said, that's the thing. Because of who that is, because of what's been available to me, I will lay it all down willingly and voluntarily. If you want the most passionate missionary on the earth, Show them the beauty of God, the beauty of God, the worth of God, the majesty of God. When that touched the human heart, it's like there's nothing that I won't give up for the sake of that. We've got to get a different tone. We've got to get a different vision. We have to go somewhere in God to where we can actually lead people into the heart of God, not lead people just into a a bunch of rules of do this and and don't do this, this kind of sterile, dry religion. We've got to become a people that are burning in the heart of God. That's the great legacy that we can leave. That's the great thing that we can bring into our marriages, that we could bring into our families, that we could bring into our workplace. Is your heart alive and burning in the fellowship of the Trinity? That's the whole point of the gospel. Just a minute of review, paragraph B, says that the Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And this, I think, is one of the 
great problems that we have as a society and American, predominantly American Christians is that we don't prioritize the spiritual blessings from God. We want the other blessings from God. And he has lots of blessings. We want the exterior things. We want a little bit more anointing on our life. We want a little bit more sphere of influence. We want a, a little bit more, you know, kind of reputation of, of people looking at us and being wowed by how godly we are, how insightful we are. We're, we're satisfied with the outward blessings in our life and our scope kind of increasing a little bit. And Paul was a man who was set on the things of heaven. He said, the blessings that I want, they are spiritual things, not mostly material things. They're inward things, not mostly outward things. The outward blessings can all pass away. They could all be taken from us. You could lose your family. You could lose your job. You could lose your money. You could lose your ministry that's out there. One thing you can't lose is a burning heart of devotion in the fellowship of the Trinity, and that is the point of the gospel. But we need to emphasize this like we never have before. Because there is a starving generation that is out there that is pursuing every pleasure under the sun. And we're watching them, and many of the mothers and fathers are watching them and going, what? we already tried that. And they're going, yeah, you already tried that, but you never showed us another way. You didn't show us a spiritual pleasure and a spiritual delight that we could get after that would actually satisfy the deepest longing and the cry of my spirit. And so you've told me what not to pursue, but you haven't told me yet what to pursue. And you haven't pioneered a way for me. And there are those that are doing that across the earth, but I'm asking you, are you one of those people? Because it's not just enough for a handful here or there or kind of the real devoted people throughout history and the mystics to kind of go somewhere in God. What about you? What about the impact you have? Do your children look at your life and say, they have something in God that I want? So the Lord says there's spiritual blessings in Christ. We have to understand that the spiritual blessings are the spiritual pleasures that come through God. The highest pleasures that we can experience in this life are the pleasures that come by the Holy Spirit for the born-again believer. The cross gives us access to all these spiritual pleasures. But the sad truth is that the vast majority of even believers, they never pursue the spiritual pleasures. They either don't know about them or they're just content with so little. They're fine living on a dollar a day without ever accessing the bank account that's been given to them through the cross by the Spirit. Proverbs 2 describes it like a man that's searching for hidden treasures. You've got to, first of all, you have to be convinced that the hidden treasures are actually there, that there's a, a mine somewhere that if you go there and start looking in it, you're going to find a treasure that profoundly brings joy and delight to your life. So you've got to know that there's a mine there. But secondly, you've got to go to that mine and you've got to look for it like hidden treasures. You've got to search for it. And that's what Proverbs 2 says. It says, my son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands in you, what does he say? So that you search for her like silver. You go after what's been made available. The cross opens up the cavern 
to the spiritual riches of God, but it's only the spiritual hungry that go in to the cavern, that enter into the delight of God, that enter in to the fellowship of the burning heart, that actually receive the joy of the treasures because they search for it. They're actually looking for it. And they're not pacified with a little bit more exciting meetings and a cool conference and an inspiring book. And wow, you know, did you hear the latest album that just came out, Christian music album, and it's just stirring my heart? They're not satisfied with just a little bit more. They want all of what God would give them. They become insatiably hungry for the things of God. I just marvel at how, how so many are, are, are content with just a little bit more anointing and a little bit more miracles, a few more people coming to the Lord. You know, I think of Moses, right? Here's Moses. He encounters God in a burning bush. A bush is talking to him. It's weird. And he's encountering God, and the Lord commissions him to go get the Israelites, you know, the Hebrews, out of Egypt and and bring them into the promised land. And, and so Moses goes and he sees all of these incredible signs and wonders and miracles, right? I mean, he sees blood, water that's turned into blood. He sees the plagues happen. He sees, you know, the, the Passover happen and, and, and the spirit of death passing over the doorways that are covered in the blood and they're delivered out. And he sees this whirlwind of fire by night and cloud by day. And then he goes to the mountain, and here's Yahweh, here's God, what he's always wanted, what he's always intended. The Lord's like, I want people to come up the mountain to me. That was God's intent. He goes, I want people to be in my presence. I'm longing for fellowship. I'm longing for them to be where I am. That was the whole point. That was the whole point of the judgment on Egypt. And that was the whole point of the blood on the doorpost of the Passover was to get my people in front of me. But what happens is, in the body of Christ, we're content with the miracles. We're wild. We're like, whoa, look at that. We're content with the blood being enough so that we don't pay for our sins, but we never go up the mountain to encounter the person of God. The whole reason I saved them, the whole reason that God delivered them out of Egypt was so that they could worship him face to face, that they'd have union and fellowship with him. And so here's Moses. He goes up the mountain. And after all these days on the mountain, fasting and praying and talking and all the miracles that he saw, the power of God that he saw, the fire that he saw, here's the cry of Moses in Exodus 33. He goes, I'm going to paraphrase it. I'm going to add this in. I hope it's okay, Momo. But he goes, he goes, Lord, show me your glory. Think about the profound nature of what Moses is asking you for there. What do we mean when we say, Lord, show me your glory? Moses goes, no, I've seen the miracles. I've heard the voice. I've seen the fire on the mountain. I've seen the cloud. I've seen it all. I've seen the Lord destroy a global superpower by his power. And he goes, even in spite of all that, he goes, there is something in my heart that nothing else can satisfy. I've got to see the glory of God. Show me your glory. I want the glory of God. And the Lord tells him, he says, I'll send the angel of my presence in front of you. 
He says, he'll go before you. He'll prepare the way for you. He'll bring you into all the promises, Moses. Don't worry. Are you content with the angel of the Lord being present in your life? Or do you want the face of God? And Moses goes, I don't want the angel of your presence. Think about the audacity of that. The Lord shows up over your life. He says, I will prepare the way for you. All of my promises will be yes and amen. All of the dreams and the destiny of your life are gonna come to pass. And actually to signify it, I will let the angel of my presence go before you. We'd be like, praise God. Let's start the ministry circuit. We are gonna take back America. We're gonna take back the church. It's gonna be global revival and all this stuff. And the audacity for a person to say, no, that is not enough. Excuse me? That is not enough. More dreams and visions is not enough. More miracles is not enough. A cloud and pillar by day and night, that's not enough. I want you. I want him. And Moses says, I don't, I don't, I appreciate that, you know, but I want you. You're the one I want. Because all of the exciting things in the kingdom didn't scratch the itch. The discipleship, the growing meetings, the things, the good worship, the music, the inspiring messages, this service, beloved, it's not enough. You need something that God has created you for. You need to go into the depths of the knowledge of God, but no one is going to make you go there. No one can carry you there. You can't get it in a message. You can't get it because you feel the presence of the Lord in worship. That's not sufficient to take you into the mind of the richness of the knowledge of God. Only you could go there yourself. And this is the reason why God has given us his glorious gospel. He goes, I've brought you my grace and my cross and my son so that you would go into my belovedness. You have to go there. And there's a sick and dying generation out there and they don't need us to reframe the gospel in a way that makes it relevant to them and create nice YouTube videos with pictures. They don't need us to retell the story with different actors and actresses and use, you know, Gen Z language so that they understand what we're saying. They know truth when they hear truth. They need people that have gone into the belovedness and the fire of God. Why are we content negotiating? Let's get this young person. Let's get this kind of worship. Let's get this. We're just negotiating everything. It's like we're just shuffling the deck instead of actually going somewhere in God. And I'll tell you why. I tell you why we won't go there. Because of the cost. Because your salvation is free, but the knowledge of God is not. Because we could get saved by Jesus, but live as bored Christians, and many are content to do that exact thing, and they do. Because there's no one there that's forcing you to open up your Bible, turn to John 15, and say, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you, abide in my love, and then go, God, show me more. Let that truth touch my heart. You've brought me into your burning heart and I've got to experience it. I've got to get something more in you. 
I've got to get something that lasts. I've got to get something that no man can take from me. Look, if our, if, if our life and the meaning of our life can be taken away by a tragedy or a, or a setback or bankruptcy or a prison sentence, then it is not a true joy. It is not a true treasure that we've founded our life upon. It's not a rock. We've built it on the sand. If a person can take it from you, it is not built on the foundation of the rock that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Lord wants to establish this. This is an urgent thing. This is not just, I'm not trying to be up here to be just excited. Look at what's happening in the earth. Look at the acceleration of the pressure and the trial and the setback and the apostasy and the manipulation of the gospel and how it's withering away. Look at our sons and our daughters. Beloved, we've got to go up that mountain, whether anybody else goes or not. You've got to get before the presence of Jesus. You've got to spend long hours, but you've got to mine the treasures of his heart. You have to let those spiritual treasures touch you and transform you and not settle for anything less. Go somewhere in God. Now, this grace that he's given to us in verse 6 has been freely bestowed upon us. Praise God. It's been freely bestowed upon us in order to establish us in the beloved. Because you can't get into the fellowship of the Trinity with God by your own merit, by your own ability, or by your own righteousness. You can't make yourself as holy as God is. That's insane. He says, so I've done something to you. I've given you my grace. And grace has two features here that I want to highlight. Number one, it's the unmerited favor of God toward your life. He looks at you and he says, there's no merit. There's no ability. There's no work. There's no obedience that you bring to the table that qualifies you for what I've invited you into. So I've given you something. I've done something to you. I've actually done something to you. Actually, if you read Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, there's very little that we're being asked to do, and Paul is trying to convince us of what God has done to us. A will that is not our own is being imposed upon us, so to speak. There's a purpose. There's a divine purpose of the Father that's coming, bearing down on our life. And the Lord wants to convince us of it. And he wants to convince us of how amazing it is and how joyful it is so that we, like the apostle, just go to the praise of his glory. Once we become convinced that we're accepted in the belovedness of God, we can't help but worship. Because we know how messed up we are. We're not faking anyone out. We're not faking out our spouses or our children. You might fake out your neighbor a little bit until they mow too far into your property or blow their leaves onto your lawn. But you're not going to fake them out for very long. God is not faked out. He's not manipulated by how jacked up we are. But that should give us even more joy that he looks at us even in our place of weakness and immaturity and sinfulness. He goes, I've provided a way and I've qualified you by a merit that's not your own. Praise God. 
Then the second thing that grace does is that it empowers us to actually drink of the riches of what God has made available to us. So grace is the unmerited favor, but secondly, it's the empowerment of the spirit that lives within us. He goes, I know that you're saved and you're redeemed, but you don't even have the capacity to walk in my commands. You don't even have the capacity to do one sign or wonder and miracle. You know, men don't do signs, wonders, and miracles. God does. He just chooses to do it through people like us. People don't lead people to Jesus. God does. But he uses weak, broken people like us. He takes our weak words as we share the gospel, and he brings conviction of the spirit to the human heart, and they cry out, and they go, I must be saved. I must turn to God. So God uses us as a vessel. He empowers us by the grace of his spirit. But one thing that the grace of God empowering us enables us to do is actually enjoy the fellowship that we've been brought into, the fellowship of the Trinity. This burning heart reality, this nuclear furnace of love and desire and singing and rejoicing. He goes, my grace is gonna help you engage in that if you ask for it. I want to help you to know me, to grow in the knowledge of God, to be filled up with all joy and peace and gentleness, to drink of my beauty, to understand my emotions, but you must search for it and you must ask me for it and I will answer you. Go to the page two. Paul says that we've been uh, established in the beloved. And we have to take note that throughout chapter one and into chapter two, how many times the apostle is talking about the transition of us going into God. And if you notice how many times he says it, he says, in him, in verse four. He says, in love, in verse four. I mean, he goes on and on. It's verse seven, in him, in Christ, in him, in love. He wants us to understand that our life, and the entirety of it, has been transferred out of the kingdoms of this world that are perishing, out of the kingdoms of darkness that are shaking, and transferred into the life of Christ He wants us to understand that so that when we look around, we go, my life is not my own. I'm not in me, I'm in Christ. My dreams, they're not my own. My desires, they're not my own. You know, the the prayer of Jesus that I love, and he's in the garden of Gethsemane, he says, Father, if there's any way, let this cup be taken from me. Let this cup pass. He's talking about the cup of suffering, the cross. But then he says this, he says, not my will, but yours be done. That's the, that's the joy. That's what we've been brought into in God through the new covenant. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my, and we live a life of surrender. We live a life that God is orchestrating and can see and, 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 and navigating. And, and we, we surrender our lives. Lord, not my will, but you're being done. I've been brought into into him. I've been brought into Christ, so I surrender everything that I have. I surrender everything that I am. I surrender the temporal pleasures and the temporal pursuits for the eternal pleasures and the eternal pursuits 
I surrender my reputation and I receive your reputation of me, your view of me. I surrender my value system. I surrender my way and I receive, Father, what you say about me. It doesn't matter what other people say or what other people think. What does the Father think? Am I pleasing to him? Is my heart connected in his? And am I Am I experiencing the joy and, and the delight and the satisfaction of my father? You've been brought into God. The prophets and the apostles described the Lord as dwelling in unapproachable light and fire. A glory and holiness that was so potent that it was unimaginable to conceive of a man dwelling in his presence. Look at these verses here. We talked about Exodus 19, but look at Isaiah 33 verse 14. Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? This is how the prophets describe the very person and the nature of God. This is what it means to be brought from our sinful condition into the belovedness of God is to dwell among the everlasting burnings of the person of God. A power, a might, a mystery that is so far beyond our comprehension an entity that is so different than us as fallen creatures. He says, I've brought you into that. I want you to experience that. I want you to be a part of that family, that love, that relationship. Hebrews 12, verse 29 says this, our God is a consuming fire. And that consuming fire isn't just this negative fire, it's not just a fire of torment or a fire of, of holiness that everything just kind of dissipates and blah, just kind of melts into the background. It's the fire of his emotions. It's the profound and deep affections that God has in his heart toward himself, towards the Father, towards the Son, towards the Holy Spirit, this Trinitarian fire. He says, I've established you right in the center of that. And I want you to drink and delight yourself there. Skip down to paragraph E. One of the foundational truths of the gospel is that Jesus loves and enjoys his people with the same intensity and degree that God enjoys God. So take all of the emotion and the, the capacity and love that's within the divine heart and, and the the quality of that, the quantity of that, and how it's directed within the Godhead, the Father, how he burns with, with love and affection and delight over his son. He can't help but speak it audibly during the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is getting baptized, and the Father's like, I want everybody to know that I'm there too because I'm his Father. And he speaks, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved son. He can't help but speak out of the overflow of his heart and affection toward his son. And John 15 right here says that that same intensity, that same love that the father has towards the son, the son says, I have that same love toward you. I have that same focus. I have that same intensity. I have that same desire. What is that desire? I want to fellowship with you. I want to talk to you. I want you to open up my word and I want you to talk to me about the things that are revealed there. 
This is how we engage in the fellowship of the burning heart. It's not mysterious. It's not hard to do. All, all it takes is time and intentionality. We open up our Bible. We go to a verse like this. As the Father has loved me, Lord, show me how much you love the Son. Show me that. Reveal that to me. I want to feel the things in my heart that you feel towards Jesus. I want to see the qualities, the the features, the radiance of who Christ is that you so delight in. That's our conversation with the Lord. Lord, show me. And we might get a, a, a little phrase that comes or a new idea that pops into our mind and our heart. Take that idea, write it down in a journal. Take that, another idea, write it down in a journal. Talk to God. You love me with this same love, this same devotion. What does that mean? What does that look like? Let me feel your emotions. Let me see the things that you see that you would delight even in a person like me. And new idea comes to our mind. We write it down. What we're doing is we're growing our history and our life in God. Our journals, you know, you don't have to journal it. But the idea is that our journals become the history of our life in God as we partake of the fellowship of the burning heart. As we actually do the very thing that we've been saved to do engaging with God at the deepest level. Look what John says. I have the verse written above there. 1 John 1, verse 3. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come out. 1 John 1 and verse 3. John the apostle, an eyewitness of the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Christ. This is what he's writing to us. And these words are spoken straight to us. He says this, that which we have seen, And that which we have heard, we're declaring it to you. He goes, I'll stake my life on this. Everything that my life is about is to declaring these truths. You must know these truths. And he and the apostles, they paid with their lives. These were weak men, the weak people just like us. They said this truth is so important. What we witnessed in the incarnation of the Son of God is so important. He says that which we've seen, he says we're making it our life mission to declare it to you. And here's what he's declaring. Truly, truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. At the heart of it all, at the heart of the gospel, the kingdom, and the lordship, and the miracles, and the discipleship, and the mission, and the da-da-da-da-da, all of that, at the heart of it, this is the thing you've got to get. This is the thing you've got to take away from our eyewitness account. Our fellowship is with the Father. Our fellowship is with the Son. Our fellowship is with the Holy Spirit. And don't live short of what God has accomplished through the cross. Don't live short in your own life. Reach for it. Reach for it. Cultivate spiritual hunger. Cultivate a taste for that eternal realm. Cultivate a taste for the spiritual pleasures that come through God. Go on the journey. Amen. Let's stand.
Holy Spirit, we ask you, we ask you this great prayer that you would reveal Christ, the spirit of wisdom and revelation would come to us. That we would see, Lord, that fellowship, the burning heart, the mystery within the Godhead that that people like us would get to share and partake in the divine nature. That weak, broken men, weak, broken women would be escorted by the power of the cross into the belovedness of God. To rejoice in it. To taste it. To be transformed by it. To glory in it. To talk about it. Lord, we ask that you would open up the eyes of our heart. That you would stir something in the heart of those that are hearing this word even this morning. To get a vision to begin to reach even more for the deeper things of God. To not settle for less. To not settle in in passivity. To not just settle into the rut of the Christian life. But to press and say, God, show me more. I am not content. I'm grateful, but I'm not content. I've got to have your face. I've got to have the person of God. Come Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you for tuning in to Sunday Sermon. For more information, service times, and free teaching resources, visit forerunnerchurch.com.